The bards must drink and junk it. Hello, friends and strangers. Thank you for listening to Tomorrow Tomorrow We Die. Die. A show about the trials and adventures that happen while touring as a working musician, told to you by people who have built their lives or portions of their lives around writing and playing the music they love. We are your hosts. I'm John Wisniewski. And I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And every episode, we'll bring you an interview with people who are out there day to day, grinding against the many odds, just in case Lars Ulrich shows up to your show. So this episode is going to be a little bit different than the other ones that we've done. When we first started this show... We knew that it would be about having, you know, conversational interviews with musicians Mm -hmm. here in a studio setting. And that's not always conducive to getting an interview with a musician who's on tour. So I also bought a personal voice recorder and I thought I'd start taking it around to shows like when I have, you know, friends who are coming through town and their band is playing and they can't make the time to get to the studio and talk to us. I can go to them with my recorder and we can have a little conversation. Hopefully the sound quality is good enough, and it is. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely listenable, and it's interesting. And uh, fortunately for all of you, uh, John and I know a lot of pretty cool people. Uh, John steps out a couple of times this last month and uh, got to hang out with Kyle from The Sword. Kyle Shut. Which is an epic, epic band. If you don't know, then now you know. He was coming through town with his solo project. So The Sword is on an extended hiatus right now. Um, and so Kyle started a solo project. I did a Kickstarter, got a record out, and then he came through town with his band. They were touring with Electric Six. And I went to the show, we hung out, we talked, and then, you know, sort of whipped out my little recorder and I got a, a nice conversation with him at the end of the night. There's some fun stories. So we'll play that for you guys. Quick note, the audio is not as good as what you're hearing right now. It's a live recording. Apologies. Also, this is at the end of the night and uh, Kyle's a working musician and so he works hard. And he parties hard. So he's a little high. He's a little drunk. As it should be. He's in a great mood. He slurs a little. It's awesome and it's fun. Yeah. So here we go. Here's Kyle Shut. And before we get started, here's a little bit of the sword. That's just how this goes, you know what I mean? Like, if you spend enough time, like, in a van with your best friends, like, you end up in some weird shit, and, like, it, that's the, exactly the, the, right. the more years that you just commit to that... Crazy that, shit happens. It's just, uh, you, you can't predict it, you know? And, I don't know, like, somebody, uh, uh, Brant Bjork, I hate to be that guy, we're going to name drop a lot in this interview, excellent, by the way. Excellent, Yeah, but uh, Brant Bjork uh, had the greatest advice I've ever heard anybody be given. Uh, he said, just don't have a plan B. <laughs> that's so good. 
You know, and it's like, you know, when you're 19, that's just like, oh, yeah, duh. But, like, you know, I'm 36 now, and, like, you know, 20 years deep into a fucking punk rock nightmare. A career. No, no, fuck you. It's a music career. You have a music career. A career. Yeah. Um, You know, it's just, that was, it's just the most astute advice I've ever heard. It's just like, just don't have a plan B. (laughs) If you have a college degree and you can go get a six-figure fucking, like, tech job, hey, great. Yeah, good for you, guy. Fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, guys like us, you know, like, lifers, like, it's just like, you don't you don't think about that when when you're really young. You're just like yeah, duh. I'll like give up everything, be on the road, and then like you do that for twenty years, and then you really understand like what you gave up. And I keep likening it just personality types. Like you know, you walk into a post office, mm-hmm. and there's all kinds of people. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, and, and, and we're the kind of people that are just like the, the weird gypsies that just like yeah. get in a wagon and drive around and make no money because you have some weird urge to just play your guitar so fucking loud that it annoys everyone and somehow you just make enough money to scrape by there was a time in the 80s or whatever like where you could make millions of dollars doing that but Mm -hmm. you know like those times are gone man and and anybody doing it today is just that's just the kind of person you are it's just your personality type people ask me like like sometimes you have a shitty show sometimes you know you sell out the whole west coast Mm -hmm. and then you you roll into a a a club and there's like fucking four people there you know what i mean it's it's like a total like reality check kind of like thing and like but you still have to just bring it just as hard for those four people absolutely that you did for those 400 people or 4,000 yeah. people the night before whatever you know and it's yeah. just like and it, but and, and you're right it's like it's like that's when your true personality shines it's like if you if you can't go in front of four people the same way you can go in front of 4,000 or 40,000 or whatever you know like then yeah that's just you're faking it I don't know it's just if something comes out of you whenever the one two three four hits of the first song you know yeah. and just all of a sudden everything turns off and you're totally just, and it's hard like the show mode those nights are hard when there's like nobody there sometimes those are my favorite sometimes they're not (laughs) like at at the same time like how fucking lucky are you right in that moment so I mean you know you could have spent the day with your daughter or whatever but you gotta push through those tough times to get to the better ones Mm -hmm. and it's not all cake yeah you know it's it's actually mostly dog shit. <laughs> and, then, and then every once in a while you get that taste of cake and you're like, God damn, that oh, cake's good. That's some good cake. I'm just backstage doing cake all night, you know what I mean? Oh, God For the Swords career, at least, and I certainly don't mind talking about this anymore. It's been a long time. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, when, when I look back on our career, it was really astounding how fast, like the, or, or how, how steep the incline was. It was so in the fast. Early years, you know what I mean? As an outsider, I, it was I, surprisingly it, it, fast. I'm sure, and it, yeah. it just didn't dawn on me because I was just there the whole time, and I was like 22 or yeah. whatever, 24. <laughs> You're like, Fuck yeah! Really, you know that was just like in my mind that was my goal anyway. Uh-huh. So I was just like, yeah, it's about time, you know, yeah. whatever. But but looking back on it, it, it was such a steep uh, uh, rise, and. Um, and it, it, it all started because uh, Lars Ulrich was a fan. And it was a thing. It was just like, we, we read in Rolling Stone after our first record came out. Hey, you know, it was like, Lars Ulrich says, like, his three favorite things. Like, new this, new that, and new album. He was like, the new album is the sword, Age of Winters. It's a great album. Or whatever, you know, it was like this, like this tiny little blurb. So he just read it. And yeah, you know, and who, who knows? You know, we were like, I don't know, maybe it was his publicist just said that because yeah. we were a new band or what? I don't know. You yeah. know, you never know. Yeah. But um, who's jerking off who exactly, behind the scenes? Exactly. You never yeah. know. You never know. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I soon realized that that is not the case at all. Um, uh, two weeks later, uh, uh, or whatever, like I don't know, a few months later, 
we were on tour um, in Toronto, and this guy rolls up in our, to our van and goes, hey, you guys are sword? And we're like, yeah. And he goes, you're not going to believe me. And I was like, I already don't. You know what I mean? <laughs> he goes, I'm Sebastian Bach's brother. What? Yeah, and, he go, and I was like, well, he's from Canada, so it uh-huh. doesn't not check out. Uh-huh. And he goes, and um, we were partying with Lars Ulrich the other night. And I was like, I've actually, I've, I, I knew that Sebastian Bach and Lars were friends. Uh-huh. So I was like, okay, two out of right. three ain't bad, you know. Okay, you're uh-huh. squints. Yeah, yeah, I'm squints. listening. Like, mm. I'm listening. <laughs> and and he and he goes, and, and just Lars put on the sword Age of Winters on repeat like all night. We listened to it like six times. It was yeah. crazy. It was it was nuts. I just I came tonight to see you guys because of that. It was awesome. See you soon. I was like, he didn't ask for nothing. You know, he just like just wanted to say that so, and left. Hey, you know, he just pulled up in a limo and rolled down a window. So yeah. <laughs> Essentially, in, in Canada, yeah. 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 So, oh, it was a Canadian limo. Yeah, Canadian limo. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, so, so because of that, we were like, well, I mean, fuck, let's just put Lars on the guest list every night. Every night. Know, every night. I mean, it was just like a joke. I love this because this Cause is the, the club, rumor that I heard. This the club, is the rumor that went out, and I love that it's, it's true. true. It's like this so. the sort of, we just, uh, they would always ask us, like, you got your guest list for tonight? You're like, yeah, put Lars on it. Lars Ulrich. <laughs> so we did it every night for like a month. Uh-huh. And then that, same tour uh, hit uh, San Francisco, uh-huh. and uh, Lars fucking showed up. And, and there was Lars. You know what? I'm gonna go ahead and shitbag Trivium on this story because uh, this, sure. is, this is the real story. Um, I saw I, you guys. I, I hung out with you guys that tour when you came to Seattle I think with Trivium. Did, yeah. Yeah. yeah, at the Corazon. Yeah, El yeah, Corazon. Yeah, fucking yeah. dicks. Anyway, <laughs> I, don't, I haven't talked to them in a long time, but they were fucking prima donnas back in the day, and yeah. uh, they heard that Metallica was gonna come to the show. I'll tell the whole story. I don't give a fuck. Do it. And uh, yeah, um, they. Heard that you know they're gonna have Metallica at the show, and Slim's downstairs uh, backstage area mm-hmm. has three dressing rooms, and so there, there was plenty of room for everyone. But like Trivium kicked everyone out of it. It was like they sequestered the whole area for themselves. Interesting. And Metallica. What a and, dick uh, and move. And then yeah, and then we were uh, sequestered to the uh, alley behind Slim's. Huh. And um, it just yeah, they I don't even they, that was it. They just like told us to go hang out in the alley mm-hmm. behind the place. And, uh, you yeah, know, whatever. I don't know. We had played there before, and it was just like, eh, fucking whatever, fucking dicks. And um, played our show. It was great. And uh, a friend of ours, uh, his name's Rob Price. Rob, if you're listening, love you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, uh, he told us after the set, he was like, yeah, this fucking guy was fucking, like, beating my ass. Like, he's punching my back. And I turned around, and I was like, fuck you, man. Like, while y'all were playing, you know? And, like, he's just like, if he punching my back. And I turned around, like, really, and I was like, fuck you, bro, stop it. And it was fucking Lars Ulrich. And I was like, <laughs> nah, go ahead, man. Like, <laughs> you go ahead. He was like, y'all were playing Arnold Swan. It was fucking epic. I don't know. And Lars came backstage, and, and he, he was so nice. It was so generous, uh-huh. you know, and uh, was just, or just gracious, uh, rather. And, and um, uh, just shook our hands. I was like, fucking love you guys. Oh, my God, you're my favorite fucking band. I was like, wow, it's just true. God yeah. damn it. You know what I mean? Wow, you know. And uh, oh he was God. like, let's go downstairs and have some drinks and get fucked up and shit. And I was like, yeah, we're not allowed downstairs because Trivium blocked every band on this tour from like going down there because you were showing up. And he was like, he, the look, on, the look of disgust on his face. That's so good. Was unreal. Uh-huh. And he looked. He, uh, he had an assistant at the time, uh, Steve Wig. Uh, Steve, if you're listening, love you. <laughs> Lars, you want dog? Anyway, uh, but he, he looked at Steve and he goes. Will you please go downstairs, get a bunch of chairs and tables and shit and like beers? They bring all the beers from downstairs, like up into the alley. Like the sword has to hang on the alley. Oh, that's so the alley. fucking cool. He brought all their furniture 
my into God. the alley behind Slim's. That's and so we cool. fucking hung out and like drank beers all night and shit. You guys partied with Lars Ulrich in the alley. In the alley behind Slim's. Because like, if we weren't allowed downstairs, he wasn't going downstairs. Yeah. That's it was awesome. Insane. And you know, he partied with us all night. It was so nice. And uh, he helped us uh, load our van. That's so cool. Yep, he did. I know someone else really cool who helped you load your van. John. It's, it's me. John from Kimbo. <laughs> it's me tonight. You fucking did. You, know, <laughs> you probably picked up the same guitar case and symbol case that Lars Ulrich did. Yeah. Well, or you mean tonight? You like <laughs> it was tonight. It was tonight. So when Metallica invited us out, the first tour was with uh, Down. Mm -hmm. It was like Sword, Down, Metallica. The first show of that tour was in Bergen, Norway. It was awesome. You know, it was just like right next to the fucking like, uh, what's it called? Like the uh, the like little like ocean inlet kind of like Bay Area yeah. like thing where they had like, you know, a little amphitheater and it was like held 20,000 people. That was, at the time, that was like the biggest shows we'd ever played. It was like um, the Sword played Bonnaroo the week before to like 10,000 people and then Bergen, Norway to like 20,000 people mm -hmm. and then that whole Metallica tour was like the next day it was like Bologna for 30,000 and then all, all the way up to like 70,000 people in Istanbul yeah you know of, of that whole tour that was still the biggest show we'd ever played 70,000 people it was nuts oh my god but yeah but Phil and Somo he was like straight up checked out at that time you know what I mean <laughs> he was in, in his brain and he just, he, he, he just didn't understand shit he yeah wandered into our dressing room in Russia it was in St. Petersburg like you know the fucking biggest show we'd ever played Russian Mafia is doing the security shit's fucking weird you know what wow. I mean we're drinking like I don't know the beer I never heard of like Jimmy Bauer's like drinking red wine and vodka we're just like I don't know just like making up drinks so in the spot you know and everything Russian like, Mafia is doing security yeah Russian Mafia does everything you can't play a show in Russia um, and sell your own merchandise you have to let the Russian Mafia print your merchandise and they take 80% you get 20% oh that's legit yeah Thanks. That's the only way you can actually sell merchandise in Russia. I'm not complaining. I'm just stating the facts. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but we, needless to say, we didn't have merch printed there. Uh, Pepper Keenan got harassed by the police. So there's two different kinds of cops in Russia. There's uh, the regular cops and there's the Russian mafia. They're the real cops. Holy so there, shit, there's, yeah. There's just police and they don't really mean anything. And they're just so working shows. They're just hanging out, you know what I mean? Okay. Like, just trying to fuck with you. And like, yeah, Pepper Keenan was fucking walking down the street and like a couple of cops just wanted his jacket. He had a cool leather jacket on. They just wanted his jacket. It was like, you give us your jacket right now. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he God. was like, fuck you. You know, they're, they're, I mean, your average Russian police officer isn't used to dealing with Pepper Keenan. Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> the, the man drinks a minimum of 48 Coors Lights a day. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Whatever. And he's like, I love him. Love you, Pepper. But yeah, it's just like, I've never seen a, a, an actual Russian cop, like, bonk. You know, yeah. a person before. But like the Russian mafia, they don't give a fuck. They're like circling every city block in a black SUV and they have the nicest fucking tailored suits on you can imagine and, sure. and all this shit but anyway anyway all the, all this aside like we're sitting there opening uh, in this arena for like Metallica us and down and Phil 
walks in his uh, walks in our dressing room thinking it's his dressing room. Yeah, just said nothing but his like skivvies. You know, he's just uh-huh. got, his, got his briefs on. He's all like, so is it, sorry. Is this before anyone's played, or is this like after you guys played? Before and... anyone's played. Okay, so yeah, it's just like pre sound check. Like, he just like stumbling off the bus, like. Bleh. You know, like okay. walks in the room, kind of dead to the world, and he like went, he stumbles in the room, looks at us all, and he's like, obviously realizes he's in the wrong room. He's like, oh yeah. fuck, sorry, <laughs> sorry. But uh-huh. Kirk Weinstein uh, from Crowbar, who uh-huh. was in down at the time, knows what's going on. He sneaks up behind Phil and just yanks his briefs down, just paints him right there in the yeah. dressing room, and this fucking elephant trunk fucking <laughs> enters the room like. <laughs> You know, just like <laughs> yeah. swaying in the fucking wind. Man has the biggest goddamn dick I've ever seen, on or off screen. Uh-huh. And when I saw his dick, I was like, there's not enough blood in that man's body to get that thing hard. No wonder he's so pissed off at the yeah. world, you know what I mean? <laughs> and like, that's it. That's, that's, that's Phil in a nutshell, man. That's, that's my take on it. Anyway. Yeah. The most enormous penis I've ever seen in my life. Always meet your heroes. You never know when they're just going to whip their dick out. Never you know, know when you're going to see their giant penis. Sorry. I know we live in the Me Too era. Consent is everything. I truly believe that. But wow. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, you saw his dick. He, he wasn't showing it to you, right? He just got pants. He so. got pants. But he, yeah. but he wasn't quick to, uh, to, to, to quick on the come up. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Totally. Sure. I'm 36 now. And like thinking about like being 11 years since then. And then like yeah. think about the, the next 11 years and the yeah. next 11 years and yeah. everything. Like, I started like uh, thinking about things in terms of like like Nick Cave and like Tom Waits and like things like that. I was like, what do I want to be doing when I'm that age? Like what mm-hmm. kind of respectful performance can I deliver yeah. at that age? Because like all my heroes burned out super quick or just they're, they're not around anymore or you know what I mean you, yeah, I don't know like Prince was my favorite I never saw him play and I, yeah. I, I got to see everything yeah. you know but I never got to see Prince and I'm thankful for that actually because like that's the one thing that'll always be larger than life for me Yeah, you know because like I've had a lot of things ruined for me like just by being too close or whatever but, but I wouldn't trade it for the world always meet your heroes yeah I have a confession I never saw Motorhead yeah, I know, right? And the and sword I, got to play with them. It was two bands: the sword and Motorhead. Oh and Stubbs. my god, Ugh. it was amazing. I'm they like think this in, in, the, in, the, in the credits of the Motorhead movie, the Lemmy movie, is a special thanks to the sword and Stubbs. Also, no there. shit, yeah, really? It's wild. Oh, that's so I know cool. it's fucking stupid. That's so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't mean to squash you there. I'm no, sorry. it's fine. Like, <laughs> it's fine. It, like it is what it is, right? Like um, Motorhead was so consistent. They toured all the time. They were one of the loudest bands I ever yeah. saw. I mean, like, people always say that, but, like, really, like, wow. You know what I mean? But like, they seemed, like, so to me, loud. they seemed immortal, right? And and I Same actually, way. I remember the last time they came through the Seattle area, and they didn't play in Seattle. They played, like, kind of out of town. It was, like, a 40-minute drive uh-huh. or something out of town, and it was kind of an expensive ticket. They were with another, like, pretty big band. I don't remember who it was. Like Overkill or something Some, like Yeah, shit. something like you that. I mean, yeah. And it was, it was expensive, and it was, like, out of the way, and I was like, you know what? I'll miss this one. I'll get them next time because they tour all the fucking time. And that year, Lemmy died, and I was just I, I, like, you could have heard my forehead slap across the globe, right? Like three like, three shows before he actually died, like there was an Austin show, and like mm-hmm. he he canceled like 
two songs into the set. He like played two songs and then left the stage and then came back out and was like, I just can't do it, everybody. I'm sorry. And like, no n- shit. Nobody gave a fuck. Nobody asked for a refund. Not one single refund. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, shit like that. And it was just like, I happened to have a personal like friend on the motorhead crew that was like giving us kind of the updates mm-hmm. of, of it all as it was happening. And like, whenever the time came, it was like, we got the word. And it was just like, well, and like, you know, we've gone through a lot of them. You know, recently, but like Lemmy, Lemmy, you know, that was a tough dude, one. Dude, Lemmy was really rough. Like I, I would admit, David I, Bowie, I fucking, Lemmy, Prince, and I fucking, fucking cried like, when Lemmy died. Like, dude, it sucked, yeah, dude. I, I'll admit it. Like, yeah, and that's and that's hard. And you know, like Lemmy's been doing it so hard his whole life that if he cancels a show, you know, it's real. He was the rock and roll cockroach, dude. Like, there's nothing could yeah. kill him. You know what I <laughs> mean? Like, totally. it's just like yeah, Matt Pike's the next one. Like, I mean, God I bless you, Matt. But like, yeah, you're. You're the next one, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm in line after him. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Well, one night on the Metallica tour, uh, we were we played Omaha. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> fucking Lars stumbles backstage after the show. And he goes, what's up, you guys? And we're like, nothing. He goes, Omaha sucks. <laughs> Where do you want to go? And we're like, what do you mean? He's like, let's go somewhere, man. Let's fucking go, dude. And we're just like, like where? And he's like anywhere you want, man. I'm like I don't fucking where do you want to go? <laughs> and on, on that tour, like Metallica played like one night on and one night off, one night uh-huh. on, one night off. And like usually when you're when you're on a tour like that, you're not allowed to play any other shows. Mm-hmm. But Metallica, they they didn't give a fuck. They were like play your shows, like play play every day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like whatever. You know what I mean? Fill it in. Like they're the yeah. most generous people in show business. I will never stop saying that. But uh, they were like, yeah, whatever you want. And so like, we told Lars, like, well, we got to play Chicago tomorrow. So, like, our bus is headed to Chicago. And he was like, I fucking love Chicago, dog. Let's go right now. And we're like, like, what do you mean? He's like, I got, I'll, I'll call a plane. Let's fucking go, dude. I, I will call I'll an airplane. I'll call a plane. <laughs> He's like, I'll awesome. be right, he goes, I'll be right back. <laughs> and fucking, like, he was like, pack your shit. I'll be right back. So we packed our shit. And we told the crew, he was like, only four. You know, he was like, I, I, only, I can only take the band. I, I, I can't fit everybody. But we only had a crew of, like, seven. So mm-hmm. it was like, told the crew, like, sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. We got to bounce. <laughs> they rode the bus to Chicago. Uh-huh. And then Lars comes back, like, a few minutes later. He's like, okay, yeah, everybody's in. We're going to go party in Chicago. I was like, well, okay. Like, <laughs> so we, we get, they sent a fucking, like, Escalade for us or whatever. And, like, mm-hmm. threw our shit in. Like, took us to the executive airport. I didn't know there was such a thing as an executive airport. That, like, people that fly private jets go to. You don't go to the regular airport. You go to the executive airport. Fuck. And um, you just walk through the, the metal detectors. And it's, it goes off because you got guns in your pockets. And they're yeah. like, it's fine. Come on yeah. in. Now. You're yeah. cool, man. <laughs> I was like, I, I went up to the TSA guy. I was like, I can we bring, like, weed on the plane? He was like, I don't know. Like, come on, man. Like, you're just... So I was like, all right. So oh we get on the, the plane held 11, and they had seven. It was the four Metallica guys, their three, their tour manager, their chiropractor, and their assistant. And so then, Metallica's partying with you, too. It's not just Lars, like, on a oh, bender? No, all of them. Uh, okay. I mean, no, I mean, Hetfield was sober, but he was yeah. he was down for the, yeah. the night. You know, yeah. It was, honestly, um... Everybody on that entire crew, they had a crew of 150, and they said that, like, until the sword came around, Hetfield was in a really fucking bad mood because huh. he was just, like, sober for a few years and was just, like, not happy about being on tour because it was, like, different. He said once the sword came around, all of a sudden he was happy, and the whole crew was happy, and everyone was, like, loved the sword because they were, like, when the sword is around, fucking Het's happy, dude. Like, fucking this is dope, <laughs> you know what I mean? I used to call it uh, dropping a Hetfield bomb on my friends uh-huh. when, like, sometimes we'd play, like, a city where, like, my friends would come out, 
and they'd be hanging out backstage with us, and like fucking, you know, fucking old little Jimmy Hetfield would walk in, you know, like uh-huh. six foot four of, you know, looking yeah. like Iron Man, you know, yeah. and like you know, because we just hang out, we just like bump knuckles and like be talking. I look at my friends, and they're like looking like fucking stiffs on the couch, just totally. like, yeah. like shaking. Yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, yeah. that was rude to me, man. I just dropped a Hetfield bomb on y'all, man. I didn't mean to, like, you know, like, <laughs> most people I just used to be friends with that guy, but he's a super, he, he's a fucking jokester, dude. I love that guy. Anyway, back to the fucking craziest night uh we get on their plane and uh yeah they just the, the second we sit down it was just like stewardess like the, this the plane held 11 people and there was 11 uh-huh. of us on there you know what i mean and just like fucking the stewardess is sitting in my lab feeding me sushi like just drinking miller lights hanging out yeah, you know yeah. what i mean and, and stuff and then once we like once we land in chicago lars gets a phone call from scott ian and he's like dude anthrax is in town making a fucking record like right now do like like tracking guitars in Chicago they're headed to a strip club called VIP let's fucking go party I was like yeah, dude, oh like, my god me, dude. <laughs> so we get this fucking uh, Escalade they, they sent another Escalade out for us and then uh, we got in it and he was driving us to the strip club so is, is this from the airport you get picked up at the at, at the, the executive VIP airport, airport just right to Escalade the car to go right to the party place. at a you strip don't, club you don't go through shit you just like get on a plane land right to the strip club with anthrax crazy well <laughs> they were there we were gonna meet them there oh they're already there they're already there yeah <laughs> but on the way we were like hey man what's the deal with this car can we smoke weed in here and we're like I don't, I don't think i said that at first we were in chicago so we asked him uh, in the escalate i asked the guy if we were in chicago i said hey man did you ever drive uh, r kelly around and he was like <laughs> he goes yeah to the courthouse <laughs> and we were all laughing and he goes no really <laughs> <laughs> and i said did he smoke weed in here and he goes no 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 and dude said, you can't you can't show up to court smelling like weed. and i said can i smoke weed in here he goes, I don't know, man. My my nose is kind of bad, man. You know, I don't, I don't know. So we like ended up smoking some weed. Yeah. Uh, ended up at the VIP and uh, met Anthrax there. I mean, seriously, like, like Frank Bella, Charlie Bonatti, fucking like everybody in that band was a fucking total sweetheart, and just everybody was hanging out all night. We were the only people in the strip club. Yeah. It was weird. It was just like only Anthrax, the Sword, and Metallica hanging out in this strip club. It was fucking crazy. And uh, Kirk at one point like fucking tapped me. He was like, hey man, you can go outside? And I was like, yeah, let's go smoke a joint. He always said, Kirk Kirk has the best weed, dude. (laughs) And and fucking, he was like, let's go smoke, dude. And he was like, (laughs) we didn't talk about music that much, but Uh he, that night he was asking me, he was like, Dude, like, what, like, what have you been playing lately? Like, what kind of, like, shit have you been, like, exercising on? Seriously, it was, like, the most weird thing. Mm-hmm. Like, because we never talked about that. And, and, and I was like, dude, I, I don't mean to be weird, but I really took it there. I was like, I don't mean to be weird, but, like, last summer, all I did was do a bunch of bong hits and sit around and learn every solo off of Master of Puppets. Like, I, I, I don't mean, like, I'm not kissing your ass, but, like, that's just what I did last summer. Like, this yeah. is kind of like, because if you listen f- from Gods of the Earth to Warp Riders, that's all I did. <laughs> it was learning Metallica oh my songs. God, you know what I'm I mean? So like, going back and going to listen to those it. records listen now. Oh my but God, anyway, that's so cool. So I told him that. And he was like, he just died laughing. He's like, oh my God, bro. Last summer, all I did was do bong hits and learn Jimi Hendrix solos. And I was thinking about all the solos that he did on Death Magnetic, and I was like, oh my God, dude, totally. Those Sounds are all like Hendrixed him. out. You know what I mean? And then he he said the craziest thing that anybody's ever said to me. He goes, it, we were super stoned, you know, passing joints back and forth yeah. and like drinking and just like we were like everyone's fucked up. It was like four in the morning, and, and he goes, man, you know what? You know who to love, you guys? Cliff. Oh my God. I'm almost crying right now when you said that. 
that like broke my heart. Like I didn't know what to say. Fuck. I didn't. I don't think I said anything. I just. I was like, holy. I just shit. sat there. I That's was like, so heavy. It was. Fuck. It was crazy. Hetfield said something like that too at one point. He was just like, I think he saw JD walking around in his flares or something like that. And he was like, man, you know who you look like? Funk <laughs> 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 club, dude. Like it was just. Like, I mean, it was just like, I think they saw something of themselves in us. Yeah. And that's why they kept us around for so long. They they told us that we could have that tour as long as we wanted. It was a two and a half year tour, and they said that we could have the first of three slot for as long as we wanted. Okay. And after a year, we were like, dudes, we can't do this anymore. And they were like, we didn't think you'd last six months. <laughs> Fuck, that's dude. Crazy. I, I don't know. Like, I, I could talk about it all day, but like, they're the most generous people in the world. That's so cool. In show business, especially. And. Uh, I scratched the surface of the shit. We saw so much stupid shit with Metallica, like on that tour. <laughs> like we we played the Festhalle uh, in Germany, where like Hitler used to like stand on the balcony and like direct where the different Jews were going to the different concentration camps on which trains and ah, shit. And now they have concerts there and shit. So like standing on stage and like looking at that balcony uh, was just like fucking weird. You know what heavy. I mean? And yeah. then like and also like uh, I mean a, a bunch of the Nazi shit was weird like playing in like Vienna and like driving by like the big like area where like they have them up. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks so much. Oh, fresh beers. Oops. Yeah. Uh oh, guess we're guess we're gonna talk some more. <laughs> but like yeah, all, all all like the weird areas where it was like like in, in Vienna where Hitler like stood on the city hall steps and like basically told Austria, you are now Germany. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like standing there and feeling that like shitty vibration still happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like things like that. You know, like a lot of like weird cultural shit. Like they, like, I don't know. I could, I, I could talk about everything. We in Istanbul, we went to the Hagia Sophia. You know, it's like the oldest mosque in the world. You know, yeah. you're standing in a place where people have worshipped for thousands of years. But also, like oh, three days ago, we spent the Fourth of July in the redwood forest and like standing amongst you know trees that are like oh, two yeah. or three thousand years old you know what i mean where you're like these trees were around before the oldest mosque in the world before fucking jesus hung on that theoretical totally, cross totally. you know before like whatever you know what i mean it's just like it's just fucking crazy dude i'm just gonna break in here for a second and we'll take a moment and we'll listen to some of kyle's solo work time on it was y'all saviors and us right yes that might have been one of my favorite tours ever. that was like, right that was when, like unreal right dude, when like, age of winters launched <sighs> and you guys call up savers and you call up the kimbo and you're like yep. hey let's go on tour together were, y'all are favorite bands and that was a that was a very quick yes it was like fuck yeah <laughs> tell us where to go uh, uh, what yeah. record was that on that was age of winters no no for y'all which one uh, was that it's the one that had, get your white stripes. 
Black. Yeah. What was that one? That what was, was that? Um, that's um, that's on City of the Stars, but I think we. Ah, oh, whatever. I thought had, it was on that had, one. No, we had actually just we had just put out our first record on Alternative Tentacles. But, talk about an uh, talk about another uh, stand-up gentleman. I, I fucking love Jelly Offer. He has been one of the nicest motherfuckers you will ever meet in music and the way we got to know him was like a total like happenstance thing yeah like, tell just, me about that it was just this weird couple showed up to a show in nashville mm-hmm. and they were like hey man like we were hanging out with jello biafra last week and he like told us that sword is his favorite band and like you know like, we, we came to see you tonight because uh-huh. of that so you okay. wouldn't necessarily think that they were lying that's you know a really I mean? weird thing right? to just like the, say to somebody it's a really yeah. weird thing to lie about <laughs> Because they were lying. I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. Because that's a really weird thing to lie about, y'all. But anyway, because you lied to me, me and Jello are now really good friends. Um, so I just emailed info at alternativetentacles.com because yeah. we were going to Austria. I mean, was God damn, I just said Austria. I'm so drunk, y'all. Sorry. He got back to me immediately. Yeah. And he said, Jello has no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but... He's really flattered that you reached out, uh, and he, he he might come on to your show. I was, it was I was I was like, cool. I mean, that's like literally like I, I, I don't know. It was a cold call. You know, you yeah. never know what you know what you're gonna get. So he fucking showed up, like down like we we're hanging out in the in the area that we were banned from when Trivium had us hanging out in fucking uh, Slims, San Francisco. Slims in San Francisco is like a legendary fucking venue for the sword it's great. and for everybody, yeah. but for the sword especially. Yeah. And so like I'm hanging out downstairs at Slims, finally allowed to hang out there. Yeah. <laughs> and I just see goddamn Jello Biafra like walk by the door frame, like you, you know, like yeah. just go by in a second. I was like, <laughs> I swear to God, that was Jello. Yeah. And then he comes back and he looks at me, uh-huh. dead in the eyes, and he goes, Kyle. I was like, Yeah, man, what's up? He goes, I have no idea what you were talking about. Yeah. He, he talks just like he sings. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he goes, I have no idea what you were talking about. But it was very nice of you to reach out, and uh, I just wanted to come out and say hi. I was like... What a guy. Like, like who would do that ever? You know what I mean? Yeah. The nicest man in the world, Jello Biafra, that's who. The guy. Anyway, you know, like, really, right? Am I right? He's, su- he's such a music fan. He just loves him and uh, James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich, like everybody, all those guys, all yeah. those Bay Area guys. They just love music. Uh, uh, Mike Borden from Faith No More, same thing. Like just okay. all of them, just fucking music fans. They're just nerds for music. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Jello's like, I- I'm not gonna be able to hang out tonight because uh, like my my uh, my other friends' bands, the Grannies, are playing like across the river in Oakland. I I, I gotta go. But it was very. I just wanted to come say just that it was nice of you to reach out, and I don't know who you are, but. <laughs> and then he looks at our cooler, and he's like, "Oh, you've got Patron and and Anger Steam." I was like, "Yeah, dog, have a drink." Yeah. So we started drinking shots of tequila and just drinking Anger Steams, and like Jose, that used to work at uh, Slim's back in the day, he used to take care of everybody. He was the cook, and uh, he was started sending a bunch of quesadillas downstairs and shit, and like uh-huh. he was like, "Oh, Jose's cooking tonight." Oh no! And like we just started eating like quesadillas and like drinking tequila. He stayed and watched the whole set. He never made the Granny show. I'm sorry, yeah. the Grannies. But he, he stayed and watched the whole fucking show. And like we drank so much goddamn tequila and anger steams and ate so many quesadillas. I took him to the merch table. I was like, yeah, Jello, whatever you want. Like, what do you want? He looked, because back, you know, we had a lot of merch. You know, we had yeah. like, you know, LPs and patches and koozies and shirts and hats and bullshit. Yeah. You know, and he looked at every single thing. Yeah. And took one of each thing. Uh, yeah, he was like, I want one of that shirt. Extra large, that shirt small, that 
jacuzzi that had, I mean, he took one of everything. And we were like, just fucking take it. You know what I mean? Like, fucking, they'll be having wear that shit, up please. You know what I mean? <laughs> he took everything. And then when he went home, he fucking took like one of every CD that was in the Alternative Tentacles distro and uh-huh. filled up a 30 CD box and wrote this whole handwritten thing of uh, a, like so a cool. handwritten note of every single CD. So in awesome. the box and yeah. like put it in the box and like mailed it to us and like yeah. we uh, and like we stayed in touch ever since I mean he, he's like the fucking nicest dude every time he comes to Austin if I'm there I like hit him up and like hey Joe let's hang out something like he's, he's the nicest fucking dude like again like with Kirk and like Jello like sometimes I'll just like get a random text from Jello be like I'm in Bulgaria and heard this lord yeah yep <laughs> you're like yeah like what is my life dude you know yeah. what I mean like oh my god like it's, yeah. I've got a million of them they're, 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 seriously this podcast is great <laughs> can I have a hug Kyle thanks for talking man dude I'll talk to you all night long Let's yeah uh, we're, uh, we're hugging real hard right it's now the sound of man hugging <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite jokes nobody remembers Dr. Katz <laughs> Remember Dr. Katz? Yeah, I remember Dr. Katz. Right? You know what I mean? Like the, like the shitty scribble. Hardly animation. anybody remembers that shit, yeah, but there's the one scene show. where he's hugging his son and he's like patting him on the back. He goes, I'm hugging you, but I'm hitting you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Katz. Yeah. Hey, before we're done, yes. you have a daughter. Oh my God. I have the cutest daughter in the world. What's it like touring when you got a kid at home? Sucks. We talk every day. You know, sometimes yeah. you got good days and you got bad days. Um, with the, when you have a two and a half year old and you have a you know lady at home like taking care of her full time, it's 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 yeah. tough, dude. It's, it's not easy. How's um, that on her? On the daughter? On the on the wife? Oof. We're gonna yeah. have that conversation right now. I'm just asking. Tonight, tonight's not a good night to have that conversation. We yeah. didn't we didn't have a very good day. Um, yeah. It's tough when you're like you know your your partner is having a really tough emotional time and needs emotional support and you're not there to actually give them emotional support the only way you can give that emotional support is like through a phone call you know and just it's it falls so far short of what they need absolutely you know that like it's just, uh, it, it's it's a it's a nightmare and like having to like like tonight you know i had to work merch and like be the star of the show and like do the thing and like now we're doing a podcast and like doing you know what I mean? it's like my, my day is, and, and plus like a four-hour drive on top of that if if uh, four hours you're lucky you know what i mean if yeah. you have an eight-hour drive you know so it's like your whole day is like so filled up that it, it, it's really, really fucking tough to like balance that need of emotional support because like Ashley Ray, I love you, baby girl, and but uh, it, it's it, it's tough. I know it's it's so tough to be away from each other, you know, and like yeah, it, it, and, and and be that emotional presence that they need so badly, you know. And it's, I, I wish I had the answer, but I don't. I, just, I, I I'm a flawed human being. I, I, mean, I like to play guitar for a living, and like anybody that that chooses to be with a person like that, just has to deal with the. I hate to say consequences, but that's just like it, that's it. You know, it's just like you deal with like the shitty parts of it, and, and yeah. it sucks. It's not, it's not my fault, but it is my fault. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's one of those things where it's just like yeah. you're, you're it's, it's out of your control, and it sucks, and you just have to like emotionally process that shit. And so when you do that, like compounded over 15 years or whatever you know what I mean? it's, it, it, dude it's fucking so tough being I away think, from your family like that having a daughter too like oh makes it like exponentially worse because like she grows so much in like the five weeks that I'm gone it's stupid you know what I mean you wouldn't yeah. think like I'll just be gone for a month how much could happen in a month yep. a fucking lot yeah. you know what I mean like it's just like <laughs> holy shit I come home and she's like daddy oh lord I'm hot oh my god how's your guitar how you doing I want you to play your guitar ding ding I love you woo you yeah. know you're like you're like 
When I left, you were barely saying dada. You know, like, what yeah. the fuck, dude? Yeah. Like, oh it's God. nuts, dude. That's like, crazy. It, it, it makes me question my life choices daily. But I, I started walking down this path so yeah. long ago. Yeah. So long ago. Well, it's like you were saying like, earlier. You can't, it's, you can't turn around. It's like, it's like organized crime. Once you're in, you're in. It's the thing you do to feel normal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Yeah, that's it's going to be Every time, hard. No offense to anyone who's ever employed me. <laughs> but every time I have to work a job for somebody that owns the company that I don't own or whatever, you know what I mean? I just I, I want to blow my fucking brains out. Yeah. Like suicide is a real thing. Addiction is a real thing. You know what I mean? And then we take people that live on the road with addiction problems and like you just get in these downward spirals of emotional turmoil and shit like you, you get weird thoughts in your head and shit, you know, and like shit can get really dark, you know what I mean? So it's like I said, like is this is why we stay in this game. Like you have good times, like the crazy Metallica strip club, crazy clip story, right. or you also have your like your really, really, really low moments of like just like what the fuck am I doing? You know, where your family's suffering and you can't be there for them and everything. It's, I, but like, I don't have an answer for it. At the end of the day, you're just like this is the thing that makes you feel the most normal, and like yeah. people resonate with that. You know what I mean? If you, I, I, I truly believe that the universe is all waves that you put out there. And, and you get reflected back the thing that you put out there and sometimes it's kind of weird but if you if, if you never even put the wave out there it's even worse so you, you, you gotta put the wave out there dude thanks so much for talking to me I, that, that's the only way I can put it you know what I yeah. mean I, I, yeah life's weird just do what you want it doesn't matter we're all living in a fucking alright so that was our chat with Kyle Shut. that was crazy fun I wish I would have been there Thank you, Kyle, for uh, taking a minute to talk to me. And thank you, big thanks to Zion's Gate on Capitol Hill. Awesome record store for letting me and Kyle crash in the back for an hour and talk while everyone else had fun without us. (laughs) Nice. So we got a little bit of time left. And so we thought we'd read an email of a tour story. Yeah, we actually got some tour stories. Yeah. So excited. We're going to deliver on the promise. These will be read. So this one comes from someone named Michael Crum, Mike Crum. He was in a band called Miko De Noche. Yeah, he had a band called Swayze for a while. Um, he was also in a band that I was a big fan of when I was a teenager, uh, AMQA. It's a Northwest reference that you only see. It's Apple Maggot Quarantine Area, and you see it on the side of the road. It's a very Northwest sign. No one else would know what that means. That's hilarious because I actually worked at Borders Books when I was a teenager mm-hmm. with a dumb teenager who had a band called Apple Maggot Quarantine Area, and I guarantee you he had it no idea. It was not idea. the same band? Oh, no. Oh, you no. would, this you guy, would know. This, they were it was good. probably like white boy funk. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, okay. This so, is not that. This is the <laughs> yeah. legendary, now legendary underground punk band, Apple Maggot Quarantine Area from Seattle. All right, so this is the story from Mike. My band, AMQA, had made it down to the Bay Area touring from Seattle with the Dehumanizers, and a day or two after a show in SF at the farm parentheses a story in itself we're invited to stay at the maximum rock and roll house quick pause what is maximum rock and roll jeff uh a legendary fanzine that is punk as fuck legendary in the days before the internet there was maximum rock and roll and fact sheet five and zines like that where you could learn about things that were happening in other parts of the world from where you lived this is how you found out about punk bands you went to the store and you bought a magazine with uh, cash, with dollars. Yes, and then you read it in your spare time. And there were pictures. There were black and white photocopied pictures of punk rockers playing music, and it just blew your mind. When you're 12 and 13, you see one for the first time. Oh my god. Oh man, and when your band 
gets Ugh. in to Maximum Rock and Roll. Ugh. It's like the ultimate first punk rock moment, you know. Like, even when your even when your first seven inch gets like shat on. Oh, it's even great. It's better it's if they so shit on you. Oh my god, yeah, it's such I a agree. good feeling. All let's right, move, let's move on. So great, we had nowhere else to go, and we're killing time before heading south after the first of the year. We get to the house, meet Tim Yohannan and some of the others, who's famous maximum rock and roll person. I will stop talking about this now. And they get us all set up in the basement where absolutely massive maximum rock and roll record collection was. We settle in and start spinning some records and just hanging out. The MRR people are all upstairs, not really interacting with us, occasionally checking in to make sure we haven't trashed the place. Eventually, someone comes down and tells us there's a new all-ages place having its first show the next night, New Year's Eve, and they could use another band to play with locals Christ on Parade and, I believe, Soup. Fuck yeah, we'll do that. The rest of the night at the MRR house was, I think, fairly uneventful, though I have a vague memory of some of us going out into the neighborhood late at night, super high on acid, and becoming convinced that someone was trying to kill us. No one was killed. (laughs) Anyway... Next night, we roll up to the club in Berkeley, and I, in my 17-year-old wisdom, decide the best course of action would be to take even more acid. Of course. This was a thing people did back then. (laughs) By the time we were supposed to go on, I could not wrap my head around how to set up my gear, guitar, amp, distortion pedal. Super complicated. Others in the band were having their own issues, I'm sure. Eventually, following at least 20 minutes of fucking around with chords and then tuning, we played. The musical atrocities committed that night would have likely been burned from our memories by the wash of drugs, except for the presence in the crowd of a genius-level analog troll. About three weeks after getting back home, a package shows up at our label addressed to us. I don't recall if there was a letter included, but there was a cassette, a boombox recording from the crowd of our, (laughs) quotes, performance that night. With commentary from the recordist and at least one other person detailing just how fucking awful it was to be alive with functioning ears in the same room as us on that night. No, I don't still have the tape. Wish I did. And that is my story of the first ever show at Gilman Street Theater, a.k.a. 924 Gilman. Legendary. The first show at Gilman Street. Ever, ever, ever. Hey, uh, by the way, I do still have my Apple Maggot quarantine tape and my Dehumanizer's tape. We should play a little bit before we go. (laughs) We shall. I will dub it from the cassette. There you go. And just a real quick uh, educational moment for everyone out there. If you don't know, the legendary club 924 Gilman, you may have heard of a band called Rancid. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you haven't heard of them, you, you might, might have heard of Green Day. You might have heard of Green Day. There's a period of incredible punk bands that came out of the San Francisco Bay Area, and almost all of them got their start playing at an all ages club, 924 Gilman, which is still there. Still there. Thank you, Mike, so much Thank for sending in. Thank you so in. much, Mike. It's good to hear from you, man. Uh, and if anyone else out there has tour stories you want to email to us, tomorrowwediepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Good night. I'm just gonna. Good night. I'm gonna edit that. What out. if they're listening to it in the morning, I know, Jeff? That's the thing. <laughs> what if it's What if it's afternoon? Good. So confusing. Good morrow upon <laughs> thee. <laughs> good insert present time. <laughs> hey, dude. Is this your truck? <laughs> Bitch.
red is in his eyes His hands between his thighs It's Milliton, he wants a fuck But all she says is, nice truck! This show is about touring musicians telling incredible stories from their lives as they remember them. Humans are generally pretty great, but we all know that memory fades over time, and that in the moment, people interpret situations differently based on their personality, background, state of mind, drugs they were on, intoxication level, etc., etc., the important thing to get across here is that at no point should these stories be considered hard facts or perfectly accurate portrayals of real events. If by some chance you were there for something that was talked about on this show or know someone who was and heard a different side of the story. If you feel we've been inaccurate or misrepresentative in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out and help us set the record straight. Tomorrow we die podcast at gmail.com. We'll read everything. And to any road warriors out there who might be listening, we want to hear your stories too. If you have a crazy moment from the road you want to share with us, then please drop us a line on email. Write it up as succinctly as possible, please. We don't want to read your autobiography. And if we have the time, we'll read it on a future episode. Feel free to plug yourself in the band as well. Again, the email address is tomorrowwediepodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And once again, I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And I'm John Wisniewski, and this is Tomorrow We Die. Find us on the internet. Our website is www.tomorrowwediedie.com. And remember, that's two W's, T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-W-E-D-I-E.com. On Twitter, we're at TomorrowWeDiePC. Instagram, at TomorrowWeDiePodcast. Facebook page is at TomorrowWeDiePodcast. Our email address is tomorrowwedipodcast at gmail.com, and the show is published on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and SoundCloud. Podcast production by myself, Jeffrey M. McNulty, at the Pachinko Parlor, Seattle, Washington. The background music is from Null Frequency Impulsor. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>